microphone again tonight we're don't worry we've ordered some parts and pieces and so hopefully we get all back to normal here soon that really doesn't matter to you probably a whole lot but to me it's helpful and I kind of like to have both hands free like I say I'm kind of my wife is uh, got some Italian blood in her and, and so that's kind of rubbed off on me so I like to use my hands when I talk you know and so nonetheless at least that's what they used to tell me I don't know you know my wife tells me that's the case you know but anyway I, I guess, well, she's not here right now, but I'd ask her. Because I know I, I know one person, Mrs. Jurgen, would tell, be able to tell me for sure if that's true or not, right? Yes, she would. She's from the old school. But anyway, let's go ahead and take our Bibles, look over the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 31. Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 31. Uh, we began last week noting that, um, well, that we are certainly going to grow weary at times. We, we noted that. And, we said that the Christian life can be pretty demanding. You know, it has its times of physical, spiritual, and emotional toil. And some just uh, we can feel the weight of all of those areas in our life. And therefore, every believer is going to find themselves growing weary and tired at times. But we said this, though, as well, or at least I should have said it if I didn't. You know, we may get tired in the way, but we never get tired of the way. And that's important. You may get tired in the way, but we shouldn't get tired of the way. And, uh, you know, the devil, he's a worthy adversary. And, um, you know, he's going to be constantly attacking us. There's no doubt about that. And as a result of that, you're bound and I'm bound to get a little weary, get a little wore out, uh, even grow faint at times. But being tired is one thing. But to fail in our faith or to stumble along the way is another thing altogether. But we have to be careful. So... You know, why do we find ourselves failing more often than we'd like to fail? 
Well, last week we noted the primary reason for that. We said that basically the reason why we fail more than we'd like to in the Christian life is ignorance of the resources which are are at our disposal. We're just ignorant of the resources that we have available to us. And um, actually it was a couple weeks ago we talked about this. But just, uh, you know, it's important that we understand what's available. Now, let's just take a look at Isaiah, just chapter 40, verse 31. We're just going to look at that one verse, and uh, 31, excuse me. And it says, but they shall wait upon the Lord, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I don't know about you, but that's a, I like that verse, don't you? That's a good verse. Uh, but um, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, we said, Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Again, why in the world are we finding ourselves failing at times? Why do we see ourselves failing maybe more than we'd like to? Well, because again, we're not, we're not, not, we're ignorant of the, of the, of the resources that are at our disposal. And the Bible tells us that the bottom line is, is that we err as a result of not knowing the scriptures and nor the power of God, he says. Now, again, that word err, or, and some would say, well, it's err, err, whatever you like, I, I always refer back to or go back to Brother Sam Davison, who I think is much smarter than me. He says it's err, so I'm going to believe him, okay? Uh, You believe whoever you like. But either way, as long as we get the gist of the word, but to wander from the right way is to err. To wander from the right way, to deviate from the true course or purpose. You know what? That word wandering, that that word err, has to do with uh, the idea of a a lack of focus or distraction uh, playing a part in everything here. The truth is that believers err or wander from the right way or the true course due to distraction or a loss of focus. That's just how it is. And they get their eyes fixed on either someone or something else, and as a result of that, we get kind of we kind of go off course. And, and, you know, when you get tired and you get weary, it's a lot easier to get off course. It just is. You know, not only are you tired physically, but often it affects you mentally and emotionally. And it causes you to kind of, think improperly, or you may even get a little bit kind of, as they used to say, like with children, if you ever notice kids get tired, I think of Landon, and uh, little Landon, my, my grandson, he gets a little tired, and next thing you know, he's falling all over the place. I mean, he stumbles. He, I mean, he, he looks like a, a stumbling boy. But anyway, I mean, he's just all over the place, falling everywhere. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what in the world's going on with that kid? He's so clumsy. No, he's just tired. He's wore out, and it's affecting his balance. It's affecting his equilibrium. I don't know, but I'm going to tell you something. Don't think for a minute he's the only one that being weary or tired affects. It affects you and I the same way. Maybe it doesn't affect us so much in our stability walking, but it can affect our stability spiritually. Well, we got to be so careful, don't we? And so we noted that ignorance or a lack of knowledge is the root of, of all of our failures, and we fail to recognize the many resources that God has available to us, which are, are so uh, available to us at, at our disposal. And, boy, I mean, he's the everlasting God. He's the Lord. He's the creator. He's God, and, and he's, he's, he's God of all. And, and he has every tool necessary and every ability uh, or, or every tool in the toolbox, if you will, available to us if we really want it. And they're at our disposal. So, you know, we have to be, uh, we have to be, 
recognizing and understanding what those those tools are, if you will. And um, those unlimited resources are at our disposal. But you know what? we got to tap those resources. It's one thing to know about them. It's another thing to actually use them. And that's important. And so we're going to talk today about the second cause of failure. The, the first one we said already was that we were ignorant of the resources which are at our disposal. But the second cause of failure is to a failure to tap those resources. Again, it's one thing to know what you ought to be doing. It's nothing to do it. It's one thing to know what's available. It's another thing to actually appropriate it. Now, the setting was West Texas during the Great Depression. And Mr. Ira Yates, Ira Yates, he was like a number of other ranchers in that particular area and farmers as well. But he had a lot of land and well, he had a lot of debt too. Mr. Yates wasn't able to make enough on his ranching operation to pay the principal or the interest on his mortgage. So he's kind of in danger, obviously, of losing his whole ranch. Well, with such little money for clothes and food, his family, just like so many others, he had to live on what they would call government subsidies. Well, day after day, he, you know, he grazed his sheep over the rolling t- West Texas hills, and, and, you know, he had no doubt a tremendous amount of, of difficulty to pay every bill. I mean, he just struggled with it week in and week out and week in and week out. Then one day, this seismographic crew, that's what they called him in the day, showed up on his property. It was a crew from an oil company that came into the area, and they told him that there just might be some oil on your property. Well, they asked permission to drill a wildcat well, and he signed a lease, and he signed a contract, the whole deal. It was when they hit about 1,115 feet that they struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. 80,000. You'll notice back here on our property, you'll notice that they've taken that well out. We're extremely happy about that. Man, I couldn't wait to get rid of that thing. You know, I thought about running a bus into it every once in a while. But then I thought it just damaged the bus. But anyway, they took it down. They got rid of it. Why? Because it wasn't producing enough natural gas. Well, in this particular case, this well was producing 80,000 barrels a day. And uh, before long, they started putting well after well after well on his property. In fact, 30 years after the discovery, a government test on one of the wells showed that it still had the potential flow of 125,000 barrels of oil a day. Mr. Yates, he owned it all. Every last penny of it. The day he purchased the land, he had received the oil and he had received the mineral rights all at one time. Everything above and everything below. But you know what? He'd been living on relief. A multi-millionaire living in poverty. The problem? He didn't know the oil was there even though he owned it. It had been there all along. But he didn't appropriate it. Didn't get it out of the ground. Matter of fact, in his case, he didn't even know it. And you know what? Sadly enough, in many cases, we find ourselves like that. We're ignorant of the resources that God has given to us. But may I say, how much more ignorant would Mr. Yates have been if the oil company would have showed up and said, now listen, you've got oil on this property, kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies, and we want to get it out of the ground. 
black coal, Texas tea, you know, and all that good stuff. And he say, no, no thanks. I'm, I'm quite, I, I feel real comfortable being, uh, uh, you know, taking my, my, my work week and dealing with it and just rubbing. I can't even, I only have two nickels together, but that's all right. I'm fine. I don't care what's underneath the ground. That's perfectly fine. I might be a millionaire, but I don't really want to be. You say, that'd be crazy. That's how we are as Christians, though, so many times. God's offering us so much. And it's available to us. And even after we hear what God has available to us, if we're not careful, we choose not to tap the resources that God has given us. And as a result, we're spiritual paupers. We are heirs of a vast treasure. And yet, if we're not careful, we live in spiritual poverty. So, tonight I want to talk about our responsibility a little bit. Because ultimately we have to tap those resources. If we're not going to be failing in the Christian life, if we're going to live victoriously, then we need to tap the resources, not only know about them. And so I want to note our responsibility. And then I want to take just a few moments and consider our rest. And then we're going to finish things up a little bit and note the result for just a moment. We're going to spend a little more time on that toward maybe another lesson, but let's go ahead and consider our responsibility at least and our rest. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. We pray that you'd bless us, encourage us, and help us in your word. May you open our eyes to your, your scriptures, and may our hearts be just lit aflame and on fire for you. We have a desire to know you better love you more, to give our very best to you. Lord, we love you. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. Our responsibility. Uh, notice, if you would, in Isaiah 40, verse 29. Again, we were over there in verse 31, but let's go back to verse 29. The Bible says, He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, He increases strength. Notice, He giveth power to the faint. I want you to focus on the first two words, He giveth. He giveth. So from the passage, it's pretty clear that he gives, right? That's what we see here. It's very simple. The Lord God gives. And um, throughout Scripture, you know, it's pretty clear that he does give. I mean, we're assured of that fact throughout the Word of God. In Psalm chapter 18, verse 50, the Bible says, Great deliverance giveth he to his king. You say, well, that's not talking to me then. Interestingly enough, over in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 10, the Bible says, and has made us, he's talking about you and I now, has made us unto our God kings and priests. You've been made a king. And you, you've inherited a position and a, a place in God's economy. You're a king and a priest. And the Bible says, great deliverance giveth he to his king. You say, well, I know that's talking about a physical king. It is, but let me tell you something. You can apply that applicable, that, that, that can be applied to you as well as a king. I'm going to tell you, he delivers his kings, and he delivers you and I. Over in the book of Psalm chapter 68, verse 35, and he that giveth strength and power unto his people. He giveth strength and power to his people. The Bible goes on to say in Psalm 144, verse 10, He that giveth salvation unto kings again. Man, I'll tell you what, aren't you glad you got saved? Aren't you glad you're a child of God? 
He says over in Isaiah 42, 5, Thus saith God the Lord, He that hath created the heavens and stretched them out, He that spread forth the earth and that, and that which cometh out of it, He that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. Man, I'll tell you what, if you took a breath today, it was given to you by the God of all glory. And you got the spirit still in you, which, by the way, if you lose your spirit, and I'm not talking about the spirit of God, I'm talking about the spirit of man, you're going to be in heaven already because that means you've lost your life. I'm going to tell you, he gives you breath and he gives you life. That's what the Bible says, and he gives me the same. He's a God that giveth. John 6, says, he giveth life unto the world. Boy, I'll tell you what, you may or may not be saved, but I promise you this, if you have life in your body, it's a direct result of the God of heaven because he giveth. In 1 Corinthians 3, 7, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. If there's ever any increase in your life, increase in your ministry, increase in your family, my friend, that's God blessing. That's God working. He goes on in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. You want some wisdom? you got to go to God. Why? Because he giveth. Now we could turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and note that he gives through the filling of the Holy Ghost. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All of those things are things that God gives us. He gives so what's our responsibility then? I mean, one of the concerns that we have, one of the problems that we have is that we, we're ignorant of the, 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 the many uh, tools that are available to us. But wait a second, got to tap into that. So if he's giving it to us, what's our responsibility? To receive it. That's what we're responsible to do. He giveth, we must receive. It's really not complicated, it's pretty simple. But we have to be willing to receive. Have you ever dealt with maybe one of the young bus children or something or maybe one of the teenagers from uh, uh, maybe maybe had a rough upbringing and uh, you go over to them, you put your hand on their shoulder, say, young man, I'm glad, and they go, don't touch me. You ever had that happen? Young lady, you're like, excuse me, don't, let me look. You're like, what, what? I'm trying to be nice to you. I'm trying to be kind to you. They have a hard time receiving love. They have a hard time receiving somebody, maybe even giving them a, a compliment in certain cases. They don't want somebody to, in some cases, like say the guy, you go over there and you, you, you grab his shoulder and say, hey man, I'm so good. What are you grab me for? Don't get, get off me. You're like, what, what's, what's the problem, dude? Well, the problem is he doesn't want what you're giving. You know what's sad? Sometimes the Lord Jesus Christ comes along in our Bible reading or possibly in a service or maybe even just in our quiet time and he puts his arm on our shoulder and we say, no, I'm not, I don't want to hear it. I know you're giving and I know you want to give, but I don't want to take. I don't want to receive right now. I'm happy being miserable. Isn't that terrible to be miserable and be happy in it? Content and misery? How many Christians are content and misery? You ever been content in misery? I think it's an epidemic proportions in Christianity today. I think too many Christians are content in misery. They don't even know half the time they're so miserable. Everybody else knows they are. They just don't know. It's an amazing thing how that is, isn't it? 
So we have to be responsible. We have a responsibility then. It's God that gives. We have to be willing to receive. That's our responsibility. But not only that, consider our rest then. Look at verse 31, and it's the passage that we began with. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. I want you to notice again that first phrase, but they that wait upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord. What is God's method of transferring his power to you and I? What's his, what's his method? If I said to you, what, how's God transfer his power to you? How's God transfer his power to a believer? What would be your response? What would be your answer? I believe we find it right here in chapter 40, verse 31, when it says we must wait upon the Lord. There it is. See it? Who's that sound like? Brother Hamblin, right? But anyway, Isaiah 40, 31, right there it is. We must wait upon the Lord. So what does it mean to wait upon the Lord? Well, look, if you would, at Isaiah chapter 41, verse 1. Right down below that verse. Right there it is now. We read right past the little thing that says chapter 41. And notice it says, keep silence before me, O Israel, O, o, o islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near. Let them Then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Again, keep silence before me. O islands, and let the people renew their strength. So what's it mean then to wait upon the Lord? Well, according to Isaiah 40, 41, 1, it means to keep silence before God. Keep silence before God. This is also concerned, uh, uh, confirmed in six, chapter 62 of the book of Psalm, chapter, uh, verse 1, excuse me. It, it says, it uses the word waiteth, but... That word wait means to be silent. And it says this, it says, Truly my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. Again, my soul waiteth upon God. It's talking about being silent. Being silent. This morning in, um, let's see, what is it today? Yeah, the fourth. It was this morning I read. I couldn't remember. I get them mixed up sometimes. But this morning I was reading in uh, Streams in the Desert again. And, and I just want to read a portion from that little, um, and it's actually the, I'm going to read the whole thing that they gave. But uh, uh, Mrs. Cowman is her name, and she uh, is responsible for writing this uh, uh, devotional. And it's extremely good, especially good for people that are going through um, hurt, heartache, uh, that feel that God's been mean to them, bad to them. She addresses those things constantly in her, her uh, um, devotional. It's, it's exceptional. It's exceptional. Nonetheless, she said this this morning or shared this. Um, one of the blessings of the old-time Sabbath was its calm, its restfulness, its holy peace. There's a strange strength conceived in solitude. Crows go in flocks and wolves in packs. But the lion and the eagle are solitary. Strength is not in bluster or noise. Strength is in quietness. The lake must be calm if the heavens are to be reflected on its surface. Our Lord loved the people, but how often we read of his going away from them for a brief season. He tried every little while to withdraw from the crowd. 
He was always stealing away at evening to the hills. Most of his ministry was carried on in the towns and cities by the seashore, but he loved the hills the best. And oft times when night fell, he would plunge into their peaceful depths. The one thing needed above all others today is that we shall go apart with the Lord and sit at his feet in the sacred privacy of his blessed presence. Oh, for the lost art of meditation. Oh, for the culture of the peace of the secret place. Oh, for the tonic of waiting upon God. This was written probably 100 years ago, before television, radio, before the internet, phones. And yet, Mrs. Cowman could say the one thing needed above all others today is she will, we shall go apart with the Lord and sit at his feet in the sacred privacy of his blessed presence. Can you imagine how far we've come from that sacred place? I mean, if it was so important in that day, can you imagine how important it should be today? Psalm chapter 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will exalt among the he- be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. See, waiting upon God demands our being still and silent before God. When's the last time, in, just in your own mind, when's the last time that you literally were in stillness, total stillness. You, you know, I, I was talking to some of the fellows today, and, I, and one of the things that amazes me is everywhere I go, no matter where I go, it seems that, and, and this has changed over the last 10 years, but even, even at workplaces and, and on the job, everybody's got something sticking out of their ear. Everybody's listening to music. Everybody's listening to something 24-7. Can't go to sleep without a television on. Can't, go to, can't sit in my house unless there's some kind of noise. i got to have a distraction in my life. I can't deal with this to silence. I can't live like that. You want to know why? Because the devil doesn't want you to. Do you know God can't talk to somebody in the, in the chaos of today? Do you know that the voice of God is a still, small voice? You want to know why there's all these iPods and iPads and everything else and everything sticking out of our ears and our faces and in front of our eyes and all of that? Do you think that that's not a concerted effort? Do you somehow think that's by coincidence? You don't realize that the devil has a plan to try to distract you from the stillness of the secret place? He does. Waiting upon God demands our being still and silent before God. Waiting upon God means to cast all our hopes and our utter dependence on Him. All of our hopes. Every dream, every aspect, every every idea, everything, everything cast on Him. Depending on Him solely, completely. It means being ready to hear His voice and do His bidding. Sometimes I, I, I seem to think that Maybe we would prefer to have a bunch of noise in our life because that way we can't hear him tell us what to do. And if I don't know what he wants me to do, I can't do it. 
If I, I, I'm not, I, as long as I'm busy doing this and that and hearing this and that, I can't hear the voice of God. So if he can't talk to me, I can't, I'm not responsible to obey him. I wonder sometimes whether or not we allow ourselves to be inundated with chaos and sound and confusion and all this other stuff just so that we don't have to hear the voice of God. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Because you know, to hear his voice, you have to face who you are, what you are, and what you need to be. It's kind of like the word of God that's a mirror. It shows us who we are. It gives us a reflection of ourselves. It's hard to get in the Bible when you know there's something needs corrected. I often say that the sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. Which is it? It implies complete confidence in the Lord and absolutely no confidence in self or in human help. That's what waiting on the Lord's all about. Total dependence upon Him. The Apostle Paul said, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God. I appreciate my employer. I appreciate my wife. I appreciate others that do for me. But the truth is my sufficiency is in Him. That's what Paul was saying in a sense. See, when it's all said and done, it's God that's meeting my need. He may be using others, but it's Him, and I'm going to give Him the first place in my life. Finally, our reward. I'm not going to spend hardly any time on this. We're pretty much done. I just want to give you what I think would be a tremendous closing illustration. It's really good. At least I thought so. Our reward. So let me just give you our reward first. That's strength and power. Now, I'm not going to take much time to talk about it because the truth is we're going to discuss this at length the next time we get together on this topic. But I just want you to realize that if we are willing to do the things that God said, I mean, this, this idea of, of this, this rest that we have, I mean, these resources that are at our disposal, if we'll accept the responsibility to respond to God when we hear him, you know, if we'll, we'll receive what he wants to give us. I'm going to tell you something. There'll be real reward there. There'll be real reward there. As believers, then, we may experience failure from time to time. That's just a reality, okay? We know that. But can I say this, though? I do think we need a note of caution here. Because when we start talking about things like this, we start saying things like, well, as a believer, we may experience failure from time to time. Or, well, you know, we're just all human, and so we're going to fail. My concern is that sometimes we use that as an excuse for failure. You know, we kind of look at that and say, well, you know what, everybody fails, so, you know, and I'm not so bad. That's okay. But, but see, the standard's not everybody else. The standard's Jesus. And so you ought to put, you ought to allow him to be your standard not others, and not even your own self. See, it's, it's kind of like, okay, it's like as a parent, I know my children aren't going to be perfect. I know that. Some parents I don't think know that. But I, my kids are not going to be perfect, okay? It's just a reality of life. They're human. They're just like their daddy. They're sinners. They're going to mess up. And, you know, I give them some leeway. I give them a little leeway. I understand they're going to make some mistakes along the way. But here's the thing. I don't want them to know I'm doing it. 
I want them to think dad's going to pounce all over me every single time. I want them to know that dad is not going to like this. He says, I don't think your children should be afraid of you. I can tell you this much. If you have young children and they're not, in a sense, afraid of what the discipline is that you have to give them, you are not in control. Somebody else is, and it's not you. Now, listen, I understand some of you say, well, if they grow older, they shouldn't be afraid of you. Let me tell you what. I think that every daughter that's 15, 16, 17 should say, man, if I get pregnant before I'm married, my dad's going to kill me. I think she ought to know daddy ain't going to like it. And that it could get really bad for her. This idea that you go ahead and do whatever you want, and we're just going to love you and accept everything you do, and no consequences, something wrong with that kind of parenting, my friend. Well, no, wait a second. We, look, we have a perfect illustration of it. All you have to do is look around you. You see what it's producing. I'm just saying that God is going to, he is gracious and he is merciful. And you know what, as a parent, you're going to be gracious. Whoa, that scared me. I thought that wasn't supposed to happen with this one. I think the sound guy fell asleep and hit a button. Ooh, very good. Thanks. We're almost done anyway. Wow, that's scary, wasn't it? Woo. See, the devil didn't like what I was talking about. He getting upset about that one. Because that's going to help you now. Maybe you might want to come talk to me about that sometime, where I can really sit down and discuss it with you. But nonetheless, we're going to move on because of time, because obviously... Maybe that was my wife. She's in the nursery today. She just kind of let me know, you better get going and quit talking. So as a believer, we may experience uh, failure from time to time, but that, should, that, that shouldn't become a way of life to us. Failure belongs to the world, not to those in Christ. See, Romans 8.37 says, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We're more than conquerors. We don't have to live defeated Christian lives. We don't have to allow the flesh to rule us. We don't have to be ruled by any of those things. We can be victorious. And as believers, as it says here, we're more than conquerors. See, we're given the indwelling spirit of God. He lives inside us. We have uninterrupted access to God the Father through prayer. We have the spirit hearing. You know, we have the ability, I should say, to, to, to hear with spiritual ears so we can recognize the voice of the Lord God. Well, we got every tool available. We're so, so equipped. So we have no excuse for not experiencing victory on a regular basis in our Christian lives. The problem arises when we fail to spend time in his presence and lack the discipline to listen quietly. <clears throat> Here it is, the illustration. Industrialist Charles Schwab. Remember him? Charles Schwab was a key figure in Andrew Carnegie's steel empire. He was frustrated with his inability to get everything done. He was rather reluctant, but agreed to meet with a consultant named Ivy Lee, who was recommended to him by John D. Rockefeller. Schwab had little use for consultants, but since Rockefeller recommended Lee so highly, he scheduled the meeting. And, you know, interestingly enough, Lee's proposal was elegantly simple. Matter of fact, I taught the staff the Ivy Method in January of this year because it is so simple and it can be so helpful. Notice what it was. He told Schwab this. He said, make a list of the six most important things he could do. He said, make a list of the six most important things you can do the next day to further the overall health 
and function of, the, of U.S. Steel. At the end of the day, Schwab was to review the list, move anything that had not been finished to the top of the next day's list, and then add enough items to make a total of six again. So he, he said, put six things down there on your list. Whoops. Six things down. Here I'm talking with my hands and away from the mic. Put six things on your list and then prioritize those six things. When you come in the next morning, you begin with the first one. You don't even think about what am I going to do. The first one's the first thing you start jumping onto right away. No questions asked. You work and finish it. You go to the second one. Work and finish it. Go to the third one. Work and finish it. You say, that sounds simple. Let me tell you something. The workplace can distract you very quickly. And so nonetheless, this is the advice that he gave him. And then he said, at the end of the day, whatever you've worked off, great. But then whatever you have left, move to your next list if it's a priority. And then grab other things so that you have just six. Not more than six, not less than six, but six. Within 15 minutes, the meeting concluded. Lee told Schwab to follow this practice for 30 days and then send him a payment based on how much Schwab thought the, advance, uh, the, the, the advice was worth. Do it for 30 days and then send me, send me whatever you think that advice was worth to you. This was years ago, mind you. Think about years, Andrew Carnegie. And excuse me, I just had the wrong guy. John D. Rockefeller. Think about how long ago this is. After the month ended, Schwab sent Lee a check for $25,000. $25,000. Now, the problem always goes back to priorities, doesn't it? When it's all said and done, everything goes back to priorities. If victory in the Christian life is your passion, and you've got you to place spending time with him in the secret place at the very top of the list every day. Amen. Where does waiting on the Lord fit into your schedule? Does it even make your top six? That, that's a sobering thought, really. If you've ever read any statistics on Christians and Bible reading and prayer, you'll know that it doesn't really rate in most people's top six. And by the way, can I be frank with you? Taking five minutes out of your day to read your Bible and pray is not making it a priority. That's not a priority. I mean, we, have, we have deceived ourselves. We, 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 as even pastors, have led congregations to believe somehow that you can have a fast food, a fast food mentality with God and still have all the benefits. I promise you this. If you eat at McDonald's every day at every meal of your life, you will not like the results. Now, you'll fill up temporarily, but you'll fill out real quick. And, and you're going to lose, uh, you're, you're going to realize that it's not meeting the nutritional value that you, you have, the nutritional value that it ought to have. And there's nothing wrong with maybe having a burger, everything in moderation. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm the first one to say, let's go get a big double quarter pounder. 
Now, I don't ever buy those. They're too expensive. But if you take me there and I'm going to buy something, that's what I really like. Just thought I'd throw that out there. But we have to be careful, don't we? Listen, if you want to make victory in your Christian life a priority, you have to put it not only in your top six, but you have to put it number one. And God help us to really ask ourselves, what is important to us? What is really important? I got to believe this. And I, I'm going to, again, I'm just being honest and I'm going to close this out. But I believe today, <clears throat> if we were perfectly honest, and someone said to us, <clears throat> you can put the Bible down for one year or I can give you a million dollars, which one would you choose? Don't read your Bible for one year, but you got to give you a million dollars. I think many Christians, the majority, would take the million bucks. Especially if there's no taxes. <clears throat> I'm talking about no taxes. One million dollars. Because you want to know the truth? We think money fixes every problem in our life. We have forgotten that God is the fixer. Not money. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership, your love in our life. We thank you for just, uh, <clears throat> even just this simple illustration, this story of this man. Father, the priorities that helped to establish him in his workplace. But, Lord, those same priorities are needed in our Christian lives. Help us, Lord, to be responsible. Father, uh, you give. Help us to be willing to receive. And Lord, may you help us to rest in that quiet place, to wait upon the Lord. Lord, we want to be victorious in our Christian lives. I, I believe people that are here want that. Lord, let us be willing to pay the price, though. It's one thing to want. It's another thing to do to get. Help us to do what we need. We thank you for salvation. It's free. Lord, to be sanctified and set apart and to be actively involved in your service does indeed demand that we give of ourselves as well, that we do something. Lord, help us, Father, just to rest in you, to say, I want to be in that secret place. I want to know you in a more intimate, personal way. I want the power to overcome sin in my life. I want to be victorious in my Christian life. I want you to help me so that I can be a blessing to my children, my grandchildren, my family, my friends brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, help us to define what's important to us and be honest with ourselves. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our